A long-standing AIM sponsor, Wessler Engineering specializes in wastewater, drinking water, and stormwater projects. Trusted, client-focused, responsive, and cost-effective, it's how we do business. The partnerships we create are as important as the work we do. With Wessler Engineering, you are more than a project. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. I'm Matt Greller, and we've got a, a fantastic lineup for our podcast today. We're switching gears and uh, talking a little placemaking and uh, downtown development and redevelopment and all kinds of good things. We've got a, a great uh, group of guests joining us uh, today. First off is Bridget Anderson. Uh, Bridget is the director of Creating Places here in Indiana. Ryan Hamlet. Ryan is the placemaking and environmental review manager at IHCDA and Denise Retz is the director of the Richmond Parks and Richmond Parks Superintendent. Uh, so thank you all for joining us. Uh, very much appreciate you being here this afternoon or this afternoon when we're recording anyway. First off, um, I'll turn it over to Bridget and Ryan and ask them just to give a quick uh, overview for those. I, I think most people are probably familiar uh, with what the program is in, in general today, but uh, Bridget Ryan, maybe give a quick overview of what we're talking about and the grant program that's been in place uh, for quite some time now. Bridget, you uh, talk to everybody on the regular. Do you want to you want to do your quick spiel? Yeah, of course. Um, Creating Places is a really unique program designed to activate um, vacant or unused space and transform it into something that's welcoming and inclusive and that really dynamically uh, changes or develops your community. So Creating Places was uh, started about five years ago. The Indiana Housing Community Authority, IHCDA, Community and Development Authority, IHCDA, which Ryan lead, uh, leads this program through, really saw an opportunity to connect communities um, with their, their local members who want to invest, but also to leverage those relationships to retain talent, to um, improve um, uh, the way in which people um, see their communities and see the potential for the community. So um, we at Patronisty serve as the crowdfunding platform to help communities raise those funds. And IHCDA provides the match. And so when we're talking about funding, how much? So, um, a community is responsible for raising between five and $50,000, and then the IHCDA provides that match. So we're talking about projects that cost between ten dollars and $100,000, or a lot of times we're gap funding for those larger projects. Um, and um, we want this to be open to more than just our local cities and towns. We also allow for 501c3s, 501c4s, as well as those uh, local units of governments to apply for funds because we know that um, individual community members will feel more connected to their spaces and places if they not only invest, but also um, can see themselves as uh, key developers in those spaces. Um, Ryan, did I miss any key highlights? 
I think you hit all of them. <laughs> Thanks, Bridget. So, Brian, there's a big list of projects or very, you know, varying list of projects that can be eligible for a, a grant and a funding program. Maybe talk about some of the general categories that you all fund and, and why you're targeting those types of projects. Well, I think Bridget touched on this already and why we're targeting these kind of projects. Um, IHCDA has community development in its acronym. And though we are primarily the state's housing authority and a lot of our mission is based around housing, uh, five years ago, um, we decided that we were also looking at uh, how to start a project or a program that would help fund placemate projects around the state that would make um, incremental improvements to make communities more viable and more interesting places for people to live and, you know, do all the workforce development and talent retention and things like that. Um, so creating places um, initially, I think, was a bit of a, an uphill struggle for my predecessor and Bridget's predecessor, Bridget and, or, uh, sorry, Veronica Watson and Carmen Lethig. Uh, a lot of people around the state didn't know what to do with us because state uh, policies and grant programs are generally pretty ironclad, and this was pretty vague and pretty pretty loose. And so um, initially, some of the heavy lifting was trying to just get an idea of, of what we could do with these projects and, and this, this grant program. Um, as far as the kind of buckets, if you will, or of different projects uh, we do, um, we've got a lot of projects that you could kind of describe as civic works or uh, public works projects, parks, skate parks, outdoor fitness, things like that. Uh, we've got several projects that would address food insecurity, um, community gardens and farmers markets, uh, things like that, public art, murals and, and sculptures and memorials. Um, and, and then one of my more favorite kind of things we do are, are more whimsical. Um, those things that you just don't expect to see in a community and you happen upon and um, can't, you know, for maybe more um, contemporary purposes, Instagram worthy, um, people taking photos and, and sharing and seeing the strange thing they saw. So um, it's a very open, very inclusive, very... Um, fluid program that allows a lot of things around the state. There's really a fewer number of things that we can't do than there are that we can do. Um, and it's, it's, it's a pretty exciting thing to work on with Bridget. Ryan, to piggyback off that, oops, sorry, I just wanted to add, Matt, one of the things we recommend people do is just identify some challenges or opportunities in their community. So like, take a look around. What are some areas that are particularly challenged? Do you have like a blighted or empty lot? What, what can you do there? The other thing is to tap into local culture and history, particularly too, like Ryan said, that whimsical, those whimsical things actually sometimes can just come from an, an artist or a creative in your community saying, hey, like I have a vision or I see something interesting or creative, or um, like we said, uh, just having a challenge, right? We don't have a safe place for kids to play. Right, that's a clear challenge. Um, and so identifying those problem areas, identifying the opportunities, and then like Ryan said, making it fun and for lack of a better term, sexy, right? What are the things that people care about and what do they wanna see? Um, 
Ryan said it best that the Instagram uh, and the hashtag and the, and the things that make your community special. That's my first thing to ask. What's special if somebody has no idea what they want to do, um, but they like the creative element. I, I ask the question, what makes your community special? Sometimes that's hard for folks to answer and other times it's like, oh, they can go on for days. So just wanted to piggy up, piggyback off Ryan's whimsy. I love when he said whimsical. That is very much uh, a, a really great way to describe um, some of the, the real creativity that we can tap into. So Ryan, you mentioned earlier that early on in the program that folks didn't know quite what to do with you or make of the program or how to utilize it. I would say that's probably not been the case for the city of Richmond. Uh, if it looks like they've had six or seven projects already of, of those that have been funded in the state. So Denise, you wanna talk, you know, we were out in Richmond a couple of years ago for the mayor's annual conference and Mayor Snow hosted mayors from around the state. So we got to see a lot of things happening in Richmond, some super cool things, uh, including some of the creating places uh, uh, projects. So maybe go through a list of your favorites and uh, what you think about them. I'm, partial to the pickleball effort and the uh, inclusive playground. I'm probably not saying that correctly, but you, I'm sure you'll get into it. Yeah, well, Matt, they're all my favorite, <laughs> I have to say. Of course, but, right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Timstree playground was definitely um, one of the ones that takes the, the cake because it was the first one that we did with Patronicity. Um, we weren't sure what to expect. Uh, we didn't know what we were kind of getting ourselves into. Um, you know, when you think about this free money per se that's out there and you don't know what to do with it, you don't know how to kind of uh, work with it or if your community is going to really um, get involved and how it's going to kind of um, work out in your benefit um, and how, how that's going to kind of fall into place and uh, what that looks like then you start getting kind of, you dive in and you start getting into it and you realize that you've got a coach on your side here at Patronicity. Um, you've got uh, IHCDA is also on your side. So you've got these people in your corner that want you to be successful. And those are things that uh, other programs don't really have. And um, one that is special to Patronicity and IHCDA through this initiative that they have to state. So those are those things that you know, while it does start to kind of feel a little, um, you know, daunting and scary uh, when you first start the program, they've got your back and they want to help you. And you will find that your community will step up every single time and make sure that you get your match and make sure that you're successful and that your community will show up every single time. And our community here in Richmond has shown up for us every time, all six times that we've done these projects. And we've been able to raise over $640,000 monetarily in these investments to be able to do these six projects here in Richmond. And um, we've been able to leverage over $165,000 in in-kind donations through these projects as well. So these success stories only happen with um, being able to get out there and be able to take advantage of projects like this and be able to leverage dollars um, through the state initiatives. And um, we're just really blessed to be able to have these options. We were able to build three playgrounds in three years. That is unheard of in a park system. Unheard of um, to be able to build three playgrounds in three years. It, back in 2017, the state of our playgrounds here in Richmond 
were horrendous. Um, and now we have a playground system that meets the playground safety standards. So for Richmond to be completely compliant is a huge feat that we were able to conquer. We could not have done that without patronage and IHDA. So those are those things that we are indebted to this program for. And, um, and we want to we want to help spread that word. So I'm on the on the board of IPRA, and I try to tell all of these park superintendents and these directors and these programmers, hey, have you taken advantage of patronicity yet? Have you have you been able to be a part of that program through IHDA and those matching dollars? And a lot of people don't realize that this is an option. And so I'm constantly, you know, spreading the word and. You know, it's just like when you do events in parks or and you have all of these things that go on in your great city and people will still say, I didn't know it was happening, right? You know, it doesn't matter how many times that you broadcast things are going on. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them, they're still going to say, I had no clue. So I think the more that we get this out there and I appreciate you, Matt and Leslie, for, for allowing us to do this and being able to tell people about this great program, so we can get these things out there so we can have more places and spaces that make a difference in all of our communities. It's perfectly said, uh, Denise. I, I guess maybe have all of you chime in on this next question or comment. You've got to have a lot. It's not just the city or the town or the unit of local government that's a participant in this process. It's usually a community-wide effort to some degree. You know, you all have been very successful in Richmond. So what are some of the key aspects of getting community involvement, fundraising off the ground and working well uh, in Richmond. And then maybe Bridget and Ryan can talk about more from a statewide uh, perspective of what's been successful. Well, what's most successful um, on our end, what, what I would, um, I guess, recommend to anyone who wants to start a program like this is I would develop a plan. So uh, I would, I would talk to donors. I would talk to those people who are interested in the, in the project that you have um, set aside and figure out your budget, see exactly how much money you want to spend and um, how much money you need for that program or event or uh, project. And then determine who you're going to target. Determine what you're looking for. Are you looking for that $100,000 project so you're going to need that $50,000 match and that's $10,000 per donor so you know you want to make sure that you're going to get that level um, and then you want to try to get as many donors as possible to join that effort so um, I like to say to be most successful here you need to plan ahead and try to get all of those uh, those people uh, secured before you start the program and make sure that they're ready to go with you when you go live. And then you will be most successful going forward and then everyone else is a bonus. And you will see that everybody will come on board and they will get excited about your project. And the more people that come along, the better and the more you can do on your project. So for example, on our Star Park project, um, we were looking to raise approximately um, $100,000 in the time of a pandemic, right? We didn't know what we were going to face, but we knew we needed a playground here. And um, we wanted to be sensitive in raising money. So 
We just were, we were gonna look at raising $50,000 and matching $50,000. And so we put that out there. We knew we had some donors who were interested in helping this, this playground in this neighborhood that needed the most. And so um, we were able to raise uh, $89,000, um, you know, and then match the $50,000. So we were able to get a fence as well um, in this project. So that was something we weren't expecting, um, especially during a pandemic. But again, our community stepped up. And again, we were, we were planning ahead and we knew that um, our, our project would be successful at the beginning before we started the initiative. And I think that that's what you want to try to do when you're working um, with Patronacy and, and IHCDA is you want to present them with a, a successful project um, going into it that you know will be successful, have the people behind you. Yeah, Denise um, is probably not bragging about herself, but it takes leaders like Denise to have a clear understanding of what uh, of what their community can do, right? So Denise is the connector. We at uh, Patronacy and IHCDA, we don't know your community, and and you do, and so that's what Denise's uh, Denise and her team do, right? They identify the opportunities, but you don't have to go it alone, which is different than a lot of programs. Um, we like to talk about creating places as the community is the review committee. So if your community does not like your idea, you should know that before you run a campaign, right? Like you need to start having conversations with folks. And like Denise said, create a plan, but you don't have to create a plan from scratch. Um, at this point, we've done over 130 projects throughout the state and we at Patronacy have a ton of experience. So we run a thousand campaigns. And so if the idea of crowdfunding seems really scary, um, it actually is just a process um, that's very typical to traditional funding, but you're utilizing a platform that allows you to quickly and easily share the campaign, but it takes you having an understanding of what your community needs are first. Um, and also the other thing that it's really important that um, Denise probably um, understands more than anyone else that it takes a full team of people, right? You can't go it alone. If you think you, you know, you as the mayor, uh, you're going to go out there and you're going to do it by yourself. Um, it, it's a, it's a struggle because it does take work, but the rewards and the impact are so worth it, right? We have so much anecdotal evidence about people who see themselves differently in the community, see their community different, but we also have key data points, right? We have a 97% success rate with campaigns because we at Patronacy and IHCDA, we're all invested in your success. And if you fail, then then we fail. And so we don't want you to go it alone. And we also um, can give you those best practices that you may not have and identifies the skills and maybe potential gaps in your ability to raise funds quickly and early on. Yeah, I, I kind of like to play off of what Bridget said about our success rate. Um, there's something very unique about this program that really harkens to um, how applicants could be that successful uh, for a program like this. Um, and I think in more of a traditional grant setting, uh, an organization will put out a policy and say, here are the projects we're gonna fund. Um, it will say, have the application due by this date. And you kind of create that project and fill out that application in a void and then send it off to whomever reviews it. And then after a certain date, you find out whether or not you're funded. Um, one of the things that's unique about this program is that 
if you go on our website at Patreonicity and click on the button that says start a page or start a program and then just drop a project title into it and submit it with nothing else, Bridget reaches out to you and says, hey, it's, I, I see that you've got this idea. Let's, let's talk about it. And through over the course of a certain amount of time working together and kind of honing and developing that project on the front end, um, you know, we've got projects that seem to be dropped into our webpage uh, just prepared out of whole cloth, which um, from our perspective seems that they've just popped in fully formed, but from the project developer, they've worked on it for any number of hours. Or we've got that kind of idea that Bridget alluded to that we, Bridget, does so much of the heavy lifting and I couldn't do this uh, program without her assistance. We work on a program and work on a project until it's ready and formed and they've got a plan for fundraising. And so when it comes to IHCDA that we um, will approve the project to go live online, it's, it is a fully formed and very viable project. And then the community votes on it with their donations. So that's how we've had to date. I think we're at 141 projects, um, two of which are live right now. And we've only had six projects out of that 139 that's completed their campaigns that didn't reach their funding goal. That's an incredible success rate. And that's a testament to how we as two organizations are working with these project creators to get them ready on the front end so they have success at the, uh, at the fundraising side. So Bridget or Ryan, what are, when you see projects come in and you know, and the descriptions come in, are there any particular projects that you say, yep, I know that's gonna reach its funding goal in 10 minutes, I'm exaggerating of course, but quickly, or are, there, are there other types that are maybe harder or things that you would encourage people to really take a look at before moving down that path? Yeah, so I don't know that there's, oh, go, go ahead. Oh, go for it. <laughs> Sorry, Ren. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything that would tip us off right away because uh, we want the projects to develop, but a couple of things come to mind that we always consider. How much space are you activating? Is it a lot of space? Is it multiple spaces? Spaces um, that are connected are particularly um, exciting. Um, identifying a need in the community. So if you're just saying, hey, I want to put this, this thing in this one place without identifying impact, we're probably going to be like, wait, what would be the point of that? How would you engage the community if you're, if you haven't identified what those things are. Um, having opportunities for people to participate in creating the space, like large groups of volunteers, or if we see a large um, collaboration, like in Denise's case, she usually identifies, you know, someone her, in her parks team, but maybe another organization, right? So for the inclusive playground, she connected with Earlham College students, right? You know, projects that have a um, partnerships or collaborations at the beginning are generally really going to be more successful and also projects that see the community as part of the transformation I think are the two tipping points as far as project elements they're all over the board so I feel like uh, Ryan was probably going to say the same thing like we're uh, the project elements look dramatically different from from space to space and project to project yeah and I uh, I would say another thing that isn't necessarily a tip off that you would go to is one might think that a project, let's say a project comes in from a community of 5,000 uh, residents 
uh, and there's a project that comes in from Indianapolis. There's certainly a larger amount of community members for that Indianapolis project to draw donations from, but a lot of times that small town project is so meaningful and so impactful that it surprises you in how quickly and how easily they fundraise and maybe in a superior fashion to that project that, you know, theoretically would have a larger pool to draw from. And so that's a testament to both the project creator and their ability to get the word out and fundraise. And it, it really kind of speaks to, I think, one of the most important aspects of a lot of our projects is authenticity. Is that project authentic and an important part of the identity of that community? Um, if you, I think Bridget kind of talked about this, if you just drop a park in some place, that everybody needs parks, but if you have something that speaks to the story or the history or the identity of a community and that ties into an activation of space, uh, I, I think it makes it that much more meaningful. So Denise, let's say I'm the, uh, the mayor of Monticello and I saw at an A meeting that you've got these cool pickleball courts and I see that you went through the creating places process to get those in place. Where do I start? Uh, what are the helpful hints that you can give me uh, as a mayor of another community that is interested in going down this path and have not gone down it before? Well, it's a good question, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about our story. Uh, we had a number of calls that um, we had a lot of interest of pickleball wanting to be here in Richmond in a, um, in a large capacity to draw tournaments our way. And so we do have two courts over our, our uh, Richmond uh, Senior Recreation Center, but we don't have enough courts for a tournament. So um, we had a lot of phone calls, a lot of interest. And so I would constantly uh, tell these interested parties, absolutely, we would love to have pickleball courts somewhere in our parks department. If you can get enough uh, interest and a group together, then you let me know and we'll meet and we'll discuss. So that was the first kind of um, initiative. And uh, pretty soon I had enough people calling and enough people collaborating together that uh, it was time to meet. So we scheduled a meeting at the Richmond Senior Recreation Center. And I said, let's see how many people show and then we'll discuss how we're gonna go forward. So the first meeting I had 20 people. And that to me was a good number to start this off right. And so I talked through the process with them about, hey, are we serious here? Do we want to go forward? If so, I can't do this by myself. I need help. And uh, these are your parks. They're not just, uh, you know, the city of Richmond's parks. You need ownership in these parks. And if you want pickleball courts, I'm here to help. And I'm, helped, I'm here to give you the resources to be able to do what you need to do. And we can make this happen together. So we talked through the ideas that they had and how many courts they might want. Um, I also um, talked through um, some ideas of fundraising and the capacity that they might need to get that done. 
Um, we got, we, we worked on some quotes. Um, we also talked about in-house resources we could use for them, including some of our paving um, opportunities that we would have with the street department division here in the, in the city. So we used some in-house resources. Um, we found the area that would be um, the best potential area that uh, could be resurfaced. And so there's a lot of levels to kind of what began, um, but uh, what we were able to do is um, have a completely successful uh, $82,000 uh, campaign with Patronicity and um, eight pickleball courts. They're still raising money to this day. Um, we have a pickleball club, which is now an LLC. They maintain these courts themselves in this club. They put on their own leagues um, and they continue to put money into the courts because um, I empowered them to do so. So now I have an offset of partnerships here where they help the city and they're engaged and they also helped raise the money. So not, not just myself um, was raising the money, but I had 20 plus people raising the money. And I can ask and I can, I can have my hand out all day long, which I do a lot of, <laughs> unfortunately. But when you're Parks and Rec, you have to get everything you can. And um, we're the lowest of the budget, you know, in the city level. So um, I can have my hand out all day long, but when you have 20 and 25 people that are, you know, going to their resources and to the people that they know, and they're helping gather those, um, those resources and they have their hands out, that is, you know, makes all the difference, right? And so we were able to raise those funds fairly quickly, get the eight courts, and you know what? They're ready for eight more. They have really um, done a great job here in these courts. And um, they have the lighting that I, we say we can land a spaceship on. Um, and they now have a great big speaker system. All these things we didn't, the city didn't invest in. I mean, these are things they're continuing to invest in with leagues and, and um, fundraisers and things that they're doing um, because they're now a 501c3. They've taken these initiatives because we empowered them to do so. So it's a great success story, all because Patronicity and IHCDA um, helped them with their startup. And, um, and we, we worked on that event. So um, we worked together on that project. So I would suggest to the mayor of Monticello or uh, whoever is interested in some pickleball courts to get a group together and work on partnerships and collaboration because you never know what that can do, but it can help you um, because you, again, you can't do everything yourself. And like Bridget said, those collabor collaborations and those partnerships make all the difference of what you can do because you can do more with more people. And, um, and I think that that's what I've learned the most through some of these projects. If I could jump in after that real quick. Um, I, I think one of the things that's really impactful about this particular program is that let's say you're the small town mayor. Uh, a thing that I would recommend is maybe you've got a larger project that you'd like to do, but if you started this program with a very small ask, a $5,000, $10,000 project, something that puts your toes in the water and gets your uh, community uh, familiar with the program, familiar with the fundraising, um, that's a great way to start. One of the, the things about this program is that you have to 
have it complete within a year of getting your money, which is also not very government program related. You usually it takes several years to get something going. And so when somebody gives their 20 or $30, they want to see that project happen very quickly. And so you have the ability to start a page, begin fundraising, receive your money kind of in a two month timeline. And if you get that project completed by then, you can come back in for another project. And so we've had communities like uh, Richmond, uh, Mishawaka, who have had that first project. And each project thereafter has kind of played off of that success rate because the community says, this is something that actually happens. When we vote for this and we give our money, it's a thing that's actually happening. And so that next project, that bigger ask, um, actually is potentially easier for that community to, to pull off. And so, Thinking outside the box, pickleball is great, splash pads are great, but the weirder you get, um, the more creative, I think the, the more successful uh, projects can be too. So think small to begin with, and then you can get that bigger bite a little further down the line because we have the money to spend and we wanna spend it as quickly as possible and, and see things happen for, for Hoosiers happen really quickly. Great, uh, great segue to my last question. Bridget, um, are there projects, and Ryan and Denise, all of you can chime in here, projects outside of Indiana or things that we ought to be doing or replicating or processes we ought to be replicating in Indiana that you've seen that we're not, um, things that we need to put on the table that, that we're just not yet there yet? Yeah, I think Indiana is surprisingly um, forward thinking with because the program's been around for a while. So when we talk about placemaking, I think people don't recognize that it is an economic development engine. Um, and particularly because of last year, we're seeing this really unique opportunity to create incubators and maker spaces because people need spaces to create, they need spaces to connect, they need access to Wi-Fi. And in particular for our rural communities that um, when we're talking about placemaking and collaboration, developing spaces where people can grow a small business, where they can, um, you know, engage in their craft making or whatever that might be, um, is is one um, kind of approach to economic development that fits very nicely into placemaking. So you're cultivating spaces for people to personally, individually, and ultimately your community develop. So I recommend people really lean into what you can create as far as maker spaces and incubators, especially identifying some of your vacant storefronts if, if, if your community is challenged in that way. The other, in terms of placemaking, I think the creative economy is just provide such a good opportunity to um, to really develop, right? Um, so I'll give a, a really good example. Some communities say we're not connected to arts and culture. Um, and then you find out there is a, a group of quilters. Well, quilting is an art, it's a skill, it's a talent. So um, talk to your quilting ladies. Do they need um, a space to quilt? And do they want to um, engage the community in creating a local art gallery to showcase those quilts, right? So um, I think leaning into what makes you special is what makes placemaking um, a success. As far as innovation, I think um, 
so many communities get excited about the idea of murals, but as Ryan mentioned, making those murals interactive. Can you um, create an element of play with those murals? And we're seeing that all across the country. Um, and I'm currently actually in California. And what is really interesting here is uh, Salesforce Park. Um, they took a rooftop and have created this beautiful trail of botanical gardens. Any community could technically do that, right? Maybe you don't have rooftops, but you have somebody who's a botanist in your community who makes plants. I think um, those kinds of things, whilst the Salesforce Park seems super sexy, everybody might have a business in their community who might want to have naming rights to a garden. Right, that's not that's not um, super crazy and innovative. But long story short, I think Hoosiers, um, while uh, as a Hoosier I can say this, um, hesitant to change, um, sometimes are really leaning into the opportunities that um, that speak to who they are. Um, and if you can make sure your voice is heard in your project, it's going to be successful. Um, the materials that exist right now are really innovative too. So, um, so tap into any makers like Denise's project, the Richmond Winters Farmers Market. She needed plastic coverings for her giant windows in the old um, piano factory. And so she just asked the lo local plastics company, right? Those simple things, that's an innovative approach. They made, now they're making like plastic window coverings. How smart. Yeah, it, I, the way I've interpreted your question is, in a certain extent, um, how this program, as successful as it is, um, could improve or uh, continue to help improve Indiana. And um, this might be going a little off topic. I, I think one of the, the things that Bridget and I have talked about, we've talked about as an agency, is um, ways to make this program more accessible for some uh, parts of the state that we haven't uh, served yet. Um, when I came on to this role last year uh, in February, one of my year goals was to get out, uh, promote the program in, in some places that we've uh, not been, uh, both in counties sense and also maybe in a sense of uh, improving our, our access and our, our serving communities of color. Um, as you well know, things got weird uh, in March and there was very little uh, actual physically going out into the public and, and talking to people. And so that's that's one of my, my missions this year um, is to get out and do that. Um, but as a whole, I, I think one of the things that I would really like to see from this program moving forward is that all of these 100 and some program projects that we funded, each of them is a success for their community and the community by and large, knows about those projects. I think that this program and these projects are so successful and, and speak to the creativity uh, in Indiana that uh, I'm looking towards uh, figuring out a way to promote these projects both in the state and without in a way that we've not yet um, to kind of go around and, and get the word out about how successful these projects have been and how um, this program is successful in Indiana and Indiana is an attractive place for people to come and live and, and work. Thank you all very much uh, for joining our hometown innovations podcast. I look forward to continuing the discussion on this topic for years to come. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, to discuss. Bridget, Ryan, Denise, thank you all very much. And I really appreciate you joining us. 
Thank you so much, Matt. It's so great to connect and we're so excited to share this with more communities. As Ryan said, um, we know that it's a good opportunity for everyone across the state. Yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely available. They can definitely reach me at any point in time and talk through any ideas or projects. Um, they can call Richmond Parks and Recreation um, and connect with me and I'm happy to guide anyone on uh, their project if, you know, if they'd like. And that same goes for me and uh, I thank you for, uh, for having us on the show today. Hometown Innovations podcast was sponsored by Wessler Engineering.